Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today is Eric Gibbs, who is the president for the Americas at Our Original. Eric, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Adam and Ryan. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely, as are we. Eric, would you just begin by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Our Original? Absolutely. So Original is a set of online academic integrity tools and services that are utilized by secondary, uh, post-secondary corporations to assist in their originality and authenticity of written work. Um, The company was launched last year in September of 2020 when two European uh, tech similarity detection leaders, Erkin from Sweden, Plagscan from Germany combined um, with really what's over three decades worth of knowledge and experience to launch the original brand. Um, Currently, Original supports more than 6,000 clients in over 110 uh, uh, countries. Um, Myself, I've been now, I guess we're going on almost a little bit over 20 years in the ed tech world. Um, Everything from pretty much startups, and when I say startups, we're talking about vaporware and not even having a product to everything to high growth companies. Um, pretty much always in the in, in higher education and K-12. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about our original's mission to combat plagiarism, because, you know, we know, uh, Adam and I are both educators, we're, we're both ed tech people, we know that plagiarism has gotten a whole heck of a lot more sophisticated than we were students ourselves. So tell us a little bit about the challenges of plagiarism and what our original is, uh, is doing to combat them. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if if we think about, so uh, the company, while it's relatively new, September of 2020, um, Erkin and Plagscan has over three decades worth of experience in working in this uh, plagiarism prevention space. And you notice I don't say plagiarism detection. So I wanna make first a, a, a have a conversation here about plagiarism detection. So there's no such thing as a plagiarism detection tool anywhere in the country world, um, in the ecosphere, in the cloud. That's the biggest misnomer with any type of technology. There's no way, no way to actually detect plagiarism. So, um, you know, we can flesh that out later, um, but that's really where the company got its start out of Uppsala University in Sweden. Um, so, you know, why do individuals need an academic integrity solution? So I, I talk more now about academic integrity <clears throat> instead of strictly just plagiarism prevention. Um, so really the most well-known study referring to academic integrity in the higher education as well as in K-12 was compiled based upon student surveys um, that was conducted between fall of t- uh, tw- 2002 and spring of 2015 by the late Dr. Donald McCabe and the International Center for Academic Integrity. So this will kind of set the stage to the the why you need a tool like an original or a plagiarism prevention or an academic integrity tool. So the sample size in undergrad was roughly about uh, 71,000 self-selected. So the students weren't paid, the students basically self-selected these surveys. Um, So the percent of students who admitted cheating on tests, there was really three questions. Percent who admitted cheating on tests, roughly 39%. The percent who admitted cheating on written assignments. So this is something that that an original could potentially deter, um, roughly 62%. 
and then and then the percent of to uh, total who admitted uh, written or uh, test cheating roughly 68%. And this is all undergraduate. Um, so this is pretty concerning if you start looking at um, the, the numbers, right? And this is from 2002 to 2015. Think of, think of the advancements that we've had in, in moving away from traditional textbooks in 2002, 2003, 4, 5, to more digital resources that are on demand. This is starting to, to get a little bit more concerning. So that's the reason why individual institutions, instructors start needing academic integrity solutions. So are you seeing, Eric, um, particular academic verticals, particular subject areas having different types of needs? So our, our, our English professors who we typically think about when we think about plagiarism, are, do they have a particular position do our uh, engineering and science and math folks feel differently? What's the distribution in terms of what the market is demanding for um, this type of solution? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Adam. I, I would say that, you know, if we look at where the research comes from and all the research that actually, I, I lean extremely heavy. I'm a very data-driven individual. Don't like to be kind of that qualitative, oh, so we've talked to, <laughs> 100 individuals, because you, you know we're going to get 100 different uh, opinions, right? Let's go right to the data. So we, we rely extremely heavily on the International Center for Academic Integrity, as well as the European Network for Academic Integrity. So um, extremely um, valid, as well as reputable organizations. And so what they actually would say is, where are their uh, it, we'll call them issues. We're not going to call them problems. We're going to call them issues. And where do we see probably the highest propensity to, to cheat um, in specific programs? So what are those programs? Business, engineering, nursing, right? I'm not going to throw, throw those, pro, the, those individuals under the bus. That's what the actual data will tell us. So, um, you know, Adam, if I'm sitting in, in an intensive care room right now and we hear this, uh, you know, that's a little concerning, right? Whether, whether you're in a, <laughs> an office building uh, in a business room or on a structural bridge in, in rush hour traffic, this will make you start to think and listening to your podcast, right? You know, um, that's where we, we start having these, these conversations. Well, it's interesting, so, right? Because human nature, it's so interesting. Those seem to be the highest st stakes undergraduate degrees because if you kind of tie the highest salaries coming out of undergrad, those, uh, you know, the, our, our friends in the gender studies department don't seem to be having the same uh, salaries as our petroleum engineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know I, I think we would say um, cheating is common in education. It's changed over the years, both in character and body, um, right? So, you know, it, it, the character cheating refers not only to the appearance, um, but the perception of cheating, right? I mean, I think what we're seeing here is an evolution of the way individuals are cheating. And I don't want, I don't want this to be a, a conversation strictly on cheating or of a punitive nature. That's not what we're here for. I think what, you know, if, if you tune in for the soundbite, that's always the, <laughs> that's always what the media wants and, and the publications want to get the tagline, right? That's not, that's not what we're about. I'm here to just demystify that. 
Um, technology is not going to solve the issue. It's just as it's not a plagiarism detection tool, technology is not going to solve the issue as the deterrence mechanism. So in our implementations, when, we evolve, when an institution uh, partners with an original, we actually are very, very upfront uh, up about, there's really three key pillars. The first is the technology. It's the smallest part of the success metric for this academic integrity. Um, and that is the deterrence. It's kind of the exposure and kind of that proof source of, of being able to have, have the ability to show um, that evaluator where there could be pop, uh, issues, as well as for the, the, the student, this formative use case to potentially see where they've either miscited their, their work, so involving them early on in the, the, pro, the writing process and utilizing the tools of teaching learning. Uh, tool, which that wasn't the case 20 years ago when these types of tools were, were made. It was the plagiarism police with the lights blaring and the siren, watch out, here we come. That's evolved over time. So the technology is one component. Good course design, that is a huge component. Don't make your, don't, don't have a writing tool or a writing assignment it's going to be very, very easy to go out to Wikipedia and just copy and paste. Let's make this a very, very well written, um, and this is going to take some time, right, for instructors to create. That's going to take some time that actually elicits that individual writer to use per, uh, personal style, to, to really have originality that, that's uh, elicited through that writing, uh, writing piece. And then that second one is really going to be that just-in-time type of tutoring and coaching that's, that has to have the instructor there. And without those three pillars, you really break down the academic integrity initiative. Really powerful point. That's, that's fascinating. Eric, I'm wondering, are you seeing a difference in how these issues are addressed in higher education versus the K-12 space? You know, I think that um, there's similarities, Ryan. I, I, I think that it's, it's go uh, unfortunately, um, there's the more exposure and the more that we actually evolve these principles. And what are the principles? Maybe we start there. Um, I think the earlier that you engage the individual learners, the better we actually have a net, net positive result. So what are those? Um, so I like to say, if we, if we go back to the, the previous conversation of how we can kind of modernize academic integrity initiatives, instead of this being a one strike and out policy, um, let's start thinking about this on a wide, uh, wide spectrum. So it used to be, and it still is today in some, some uh, academic integrity policies, that if you plagiarize once, it's either failure or in higher education, it could be expulsion, right? You're done. Right. Um, let's take that on a grander scheme. So if you miscite something <laughs> and you're done versus collusion with 10 individuals in your class on a scale or, you know, there, there's difference in, in that academic integrity policy. So I like to lean upon specific uh, resources that the International Center for Academic Integrity has, has actually provided. And this is where you have to be able to utilize um, what I consider core, core resources of individual uh, companies, organizations that specialize in academic integrity type resources. There are a lot of kind of uh, wolf in sheep's clothing out there um, that want to say they're, they're 
promoting academic integrity, but not so much when you start digging in. Um, so I would encourage your, your listeners to really start looking at the International Center for Academic Integrity's uh, six fundamental values. And so if you think about higher education in K-12, Ryan, with the question you asked, if we can start incorporating kind of these six fundamental values early on in education, so the International Center for Academic Integrity outlined six fundamental values, which were honesty, trust, fairness, respect, responsibility, and courage as key fundamental values that you should incorporate into your academic integrity initiatives. So if, if, you, if you instill those in the classroom, if you create those as a part of the everyday kind of uh, thought process and fundamental, those should matriculate not only from potentially middle school to high school and then you know, secondary to post-secondary. That, that really allows us to, to start thinking about more integrity, right? And then not only just in higher ed, but let's think about those individuals that matriculate out into the global workforce. Then this gets back to where we started, um, those nursing, engineers, business. The global workforce then becomes a better, better off today, uh, or excuse me, tomorrow than we are today. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, for our listeners who are, you know, plagued with the, the, the challenges of onboarding to online school, and they're really trying to figure out, okay, how do I maintain the integrity of my course? What are, what's the place to start for the average teacher who is building a course and wants to have a solution? Right now, they're using Google Forms. Right now they're, you know, they're, they're just, they're using the tools that they're most comfortable with. How would you coach them up to be able to think about uh, integrity? You, you said first start with design, but yeah. what are some of the helpful tools? If I've designed, if I think I've designed a, 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 a sophisticated assessment, how can I maintain that integrity? Where do I Absolutely, start? absolutely. Great question. And so this is where we've put a lot of thought process thought processes in and actually not disturbing the workflow. So if they're using you know, Google Forms and then maybe they're using Google Classroom or maybe they're using Canvas or Brightspace, a learning management tool, um, what we wanna do is, all we wanna be is that efficiency component, right? So we've integrated within the, the commercial tools to basically just take their workflow and then behind the scenes do all the magic, right? So that integration is going to keep the workflow as they're doing today. Um, the student would submit through that learning management system. We do that heavy lift. Um, and I, I'm going to pause here and, and take just a minute just to talk about that kind of magic because it's not as if we're looking at, we're not, we're not Google, and in 0 .024 seconds, you have a response. We're taking 20 years worth of archived internet uh, data that we're, and content that we're, we're comparing against. We're taking scholarly journals and academic publications, and then we're taking over 20 years worth of student materials and checking against. So we're being able to then check to make sure that where those content matches are and then provide it back to both the student or that learner and then the evaluator to show them where that actual content was actually matched against. So it's a very heavy lift that we're able to do and somewhere between one and three minutes for let's say an average 10 page paper. So all that magic's done on the back end and then submitting it back to the individual submitter and, and uh, receiver um, through that learning management system. 
So think about us, Adam, as just a, an efficiency tool that's just going now through the normal workflow of that learning management system. So the, from a process perspective, there's nothing that has to be done. The hard part for the individual instructor and even the harder part for someone like Original is then to train the individual or that from professional development to interpret what the heck is this 72% mean when you get this score back? Does that mean 72% plagiarized? No, because we don't detect plagiarism. It just means that there's 72% of the content that we actually matched against because it was Romeo and Juliet Shakespeare um, that, that matched against the, the individual content of the paper. Fascinating. Eric, I imagine that you, uh, you feel sometimes like you're in a little bit of an arms race, right? Because the more sophisticated the technology on the good guys end becomes, uh, the more sophisticated some of these operations to help with plagiarism become, right? And I'm sure all of our listeners have read some of the articles that talk about uh, you know, entire companies in other countries that have been set up, uh, you know, for a small subscription fee, you can get someone who's a college graduate to, uh, to write your personalized paper for you. Um, and so I know that many of our listeners in the education space uh, might feel a little bit like the, uh, the last 300 Spartans before the gates of Thermopylae defending <laughs> against the onslaught of the Persian plagiarizers, right? Um, what are the next steps for you in that arms race? What are the next steps for you guys as you continue to combat a, a more and more sophisticated enemy on the other end? Yeah, this, this, is, a, this is something that, that keeps us, our, our R&D team up at night and certainly keeps me up at night um, because, you know, I, I don't want to say that and it, it's, it's cheat, it is cheating, right? It's, it's sure. normalizing the cheating effect. Um, I've been talking about this kind of digital sharing economy for a while now, and a while being four or five years. Um, and there's really two components here. There's academic file sharing sites, which is kind of like this Napster of academia right? Right. Um, for individuals that remember Napster. Um, and then there's these AI tools that, that do a very, very good job of, of writing papers for students. Um, you know, so contract cheating is what we call these academic file sharing sites. And then these AI tools do a very good job of being able to write uh, papers for students. Um, so the technology, I'm happy to say on the AI side, we have our, our tools being able to diagnose and keep up with those AI tools. It's hard, it's, it's very hard. Sure. But from a comparison perspective, and we have a tool called Original Metrics, and that's the reason why we're just not a plagiarism prevention tool anymore. I refer to us as an academic integrity tool because another component of our solution is we compare submissions between individual students as they sub submit um, their submissions. So let's say a student submits a written, assess a written artifact in week one, they come in and submit in week four, um, the instructor looks at it and goes, this just doesn't feel right. Right. Mm -hmm. This I know this student didn't write it. And in years past, you have that uncomfortable as an instructor, you have that uncomfortable conversation with the student going, I don't think you wrote this. And it's a he said, she said, or he said, he said type of engagement. Now, through our original metrics tool, we can actually evaluate the stylometry based upon a whole subset of, of data analytics that will actually compare 
and be able to flag it based upon the, the, the delta between those, those specific uh, metrics that we're outlining. And actually, so is, uh, do I understand correctly that you're saying that uh, AI has a certain style in the way it writes papers and you guys are able to detect that? It, it, it could, it could. And I say could because even if, if I wrote a paper and then Adam writes a paper, our, our writing styles are going to be very different, right? Sure. And, it could, and, and so there's the stylometry component. And then we've also partnered with another company. And so that's, that's non-AI. And then we've also partnered with another company that takes it to the next level. So you're looking at about an 85, 87% confidence level. Then if we bring in AI, then we're talking about personality traits. Now you're getting up to about 99.5% confidence of saying, you didn't write this and I can tell you why. And now we're starting to get extremely precise and confidence level of being able to say, this is not your writing. But that's on the AI side. That's, that's, you know, that's kind of look forward looking. And I can't tell you if that's forward looking six months, a year, two years down the road. We, we, we're already seeing that. The academic file sharing sites pose the biggest risk to academic integrity today. And there's no easy solution to being able to shut these down. I mean, unfortunately, we find ourselves in kind of this whack-a-mole type of scenario when one gets, one gets exposed, one gets shut down because of cease and desist. Um, these are those contract cheating sites. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not going to call them out by name. The International Center for Academic Integrity has said there's over 600 out there. Wow. Um, you know, I talk about kind of the, the assignments for instructors creating high quality assignments, right? They, they have to create these high quality assignments that elicit critical thinking. They spend hours upon these trying to create high quality assignments. As soon as an, a student goes out and submits it to one of these academic file sharing sites, immediately it's normalized it into cheating. And all of that hard work now has been, <laughs> has been is gone um, because now for, $14.95 a month, you can go out, get that, and then it's exposed. Again, kind of that Napster model. Um, so it becomes part of this, you know, hundreds of millions of artifacts, the quizzes, the lab manuals, the essays, the exams that are now, you know, current circulation on these academic file sharing sites. And it's some countries, some countries have outlawed this. So New Zealand, uh, Australia and now the UK are outlawing these academic file sharing sites. So it's, it's a, a very, very serious problem. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that other countries will follow in this suit, um, but know that um, you know, we don't want to normalize the behaviors that are currently trending with these file sharing sites today. Yeah. I, I really want to take the opportunity while we have you, Eric, um, to, to accomplish your goal of demystifying this word plagiarism, right? Which comes from the Greek term to kidnap. Right? <laughs> and so when we think about that, you know, most young people do not intend to take someone else's ideas and not give them credit. They intend to do something else. These are not kidnappers, right? right. And so what I'm wondering is how can we... Um, think about the messaging around what it means to plagiarize so that we get the impact that we're all looking for, which is, you know, I shouldn't take this person's idea without giving them adequate credit. So one solve is to properly cite things. The other solve is to value your own ideas. 
right? Those are the preventative measures. What do you think about, uh, what, what would be your message to the young people listening to the podcast? Not necessarily the ones who are policing, but the ones who are tempted. Yeah, th this is, this is uh, relevant to me in a couple of ways, Adam. Um, so, you know, my, my son's a junior in high school and holy cow, um, this transports me back there um, <laughs> in ways I don't want to go. <laughs> sure. But, <laughs> You know, he's, you know, we, we have conversations around cheating. We have conversations around plagiarism. We have conversations around proper citing, and it's frustrating um, on so many levels, especially on the ed tech side. Personally, and this, you know, do, do you say off the record on the podcast, right? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think that works. <laughs> you know, it, it's frustrating to think that we, you still have to do this proper citation, right? Because there's tools out there that can immediately just immediately citate, proper citation for you. There's some really good technology out there that could assist students in, in proper citation. But let's take what is plagiarism. I think it's pr proper to define plagiarism as, you know, to steal the ideas or words, you know, of another without crediting the source. So once you, once you get that defined, there's a line in the sand that's been drawn, and now we have to be able to, to address it as it stands. Um, so whether you intend to or not is irrelevant. That it, it's, it's once, once we understand that, if you're, you know, then, then, then there's derivatives. So what is paraphrasing, right? <laughs> so mm -hmm. let, let's, let's go to paraphrasing, right? Um, and tools like original do detect plagiarism, or excuse me, they do detect paraphrasing. So we can actually look at where students or researchers or potentially Nobel laureates were when they accidentally, um, you know, maybe change, change up words or politicians or anybody, right? It's, it's a submitter. Whenever they change up the words, it's just changing the, 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 the words within a sentence that actually is then going to be removed and the, and the technology is going to show where those, those words have been um, altered. So, you know, I think what we have to say is that it's a very complex question. Um, we can dig down into this that, you know, you, it, it's not proper to, to plagiarize. If that's, that's very elementary statement, but it's, it's, a, it's a fact. As long as you actually cite what's something that you're using, that's not plagiarism. Okay, so that's, let, let's, let, let's start there. Um, I think I'll also then follow this up in a, in a tangent statement, which I try not to go off on, but if you go on Twitter and actually look at plagiarism detection or similarity scores or anything that, that is related to plagiarism prevention, um, students are scared to death to submit to a tool like Original or the other plagiarism prevention tools out there. They, they get back a score of 60% and they say, how is this possible that I plagiarized 60% of the paper? And it's showing that it exposed John Smith, my name, and it's highlighting that. Or page eight of my paper and it's saying I plagiarized page eight. Well, it, they just don't understand that that's not a plagiar plagiarism detection tool, right? Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's A, a misunderstanding of what the tools do. B, it's understanding that when you properly either paraphrase, understanding how to paraphrase or 
properly site, that alleviates this concern. Now I'm going to throw in another issue that we see as a bigger issue than plagiarism, which is this under this, this new, and I say new, it's been around for about the last seven or eight years, though, at least we've been uh, tracking on it, which is cross-language plagiarism. Um, so, you know, this is where going back to an efficiency component, technological solutions are avail available really as an efficiency component to, to be able to identify cross-language text matching. So what is that? So we've defined what plagiarism is. Now what we're doing is we're matching content that's been translated from one language to another, right? So at original, we've created this functionality that um, utilizes proprietary algorithms to detect some similarities from an original language. So, you know, example, actual cross-matching. So most of these, so let's take Google Translate, they translate, translate it to English, right? So this might sound trivial, but it's really complex uh, because we're taking that text across languages by tra first translating the text to English and then searching English sources for the match. So most students, you know, if you think about it, not here in the US, but globally, are bilingual, if not multilingual. So if I'm, if I'm a native Spanish speaker, but I also speak English as well as uh, Portuguese, I might go to a Portuguese article, use that Portuguese article, go back to French in my French class, and then actually just claim that as my own. But at original, what we already are doing is we're already doing that automation of cross-language text, uh, cross text matching. So for the instructor, you have that added uh, efficiency component of us actually matching that. And what is it just not for? It's not just for the instructor. It's basically going back and actually bolstering or safeguarding the institution's um, academic integrity initiative. Because if we think about, again, going back to granting that degree, granting, granting that credential to the individual that's, again, saying their competency is I passed this class and we're getting into grades, we're getting into all of this, right? But what we're doing is we're saying that individual is competent that's in that class and now they're matriculating on, right? So it's up to the individual institution for us to be able to say that, you know, we're, we're safeguarding that institution's uh, integrity. Um, and so this is something that we're upholding for, for academia. So the technology is quite, I mean, it, it's, it's remarkable how much of a heavy lift is going on in the back end. I, I, sure. I, I say that it's, you know, it's just plagiarism prevention or it's just academic integrity, but it, it's very complex what's going on uh, behind the scenes. Eric, what's next for the technology? Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot we could actually go into. I mean, we've always stayed in academic, academia. So K-12, higher education, we can turn the model upside down and look at corporations. So if you think about this, we could, you know, we, we have several clients and so we, we've explored the, the corporate clients, but I think for us, it's, it's a matter of where that content play is. So if we moved into the legal and regulatory, you could imagine that in law, you want to actually see more matches, right? You want to see where cases and precedents are. So then we can go back and actually utilize that. Um, but I think for us, it's, it's more about optimizing the tool specifically for our stakeholders. Um, you know, I, I think Ryan, you had asked about 
how do you stay above the curve, right? Because yeah. you're always going to have to stay in front. Um, so AI poses, some, you know, that artificial intelligence component poses some real uh, heartburn for us in the future. So I think for us, it's just a matter of being the most optimized tool on the market. And so last February, the internet, or excuse me, the, the European Network for Academic Integrity published a study that showed um, at the time it was Erkin um, being the most uh, effective tool um, in both uh, in, in actually identifying content and reducing the amount of false positives. So I think that's really where we want to stay ahead of the game. We want to be the most optimized tool in the market. Um, and that, that says a lot because we want to be able to show value for our, our individual partners. Do you see, um, you mentioned uh, AI, do you see use cases for uh, blockchain technology? If we're thinking about companies that want to mint uh, digitally scarce academic curriculum as a way to ensure integrity or um, institutions that want to uh, verify degrees in a decentralized fashion, right? Where they, uh, they're publicly um, tracked on a ledger or something like that. Um, talk, talk to me about the intersection between blockchain um, and what you see in this, in this kind of academic integrity space. I, I think it's a natural progression. I, I would say that. I, I think for us, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been, I won't say a battle to get away from kind of the plagiarism police and move into kind of a teaching and learning environment. Yeah. Um, it would be a natural progression for us to be able to actually have those conversations. Um, you also have to understand though, from where we sit today from a, a, a company perspective, um, we primarily were just a European, Nordic, and Indian. I mean, that's where our, our, our focus has been. Uh, the Americas was certainly a growth area, so there's a lot of growth from growth potential for us. Um, so looking out, you know, three, four years down the road, I think it sounds like it, it would be something to, to explore. Um, for us, it would be probably less on the build and more on the buy uh, type of, of scenario, <laughs> being a smaller smaller organization, but it would be something that would be logical to explore. So Eric, just to give you a heads up, um, you know, we're moving to, the, the, to our portion called the Furious Five, and we actually have an algorithm running to see if you take anyone else. <laughs> Uh -huh. We're not the plagiarism police here, Eric. Exactly. We're just we're not policing you. But just know <laughs> exactly, that exactly. I a, that I have a virtual reality algorithm here. As uh, as you answer, we will be making sure that these answers are not located anywhere else on the internet. Man, oh man. Well, Eric, as Adam mentioned, we are moving into the portion of our show called the Furious Five, which will be five questions that. Uh, don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today, but uh, they'll just kind of give us a, a fun chance to get to know you a little bit better and, and the show on a, on a lighter note. Uh, without any further ado, the first question of the Furious Five is, what's the best meal you've eaten recently? Oh man, this is, this is an easy one for me. I mean, my mom's fried chicken, you can't go wrong. Probably not the healthiest, um, but certainly the best. I mean, this is one that you know, passed down from my grandma. She had the best fried chicken. Now it's my mom's. The problem is she scarred me for life. I can't eat any other fried chicken than my mom's. 
Man, okay. Well, that sounds like a good problem to have. So. <laughs> Not the healthiest though, man. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> That's awesome. Second question of the Furious Five, Eric, what is the best movie or TV show that you've watched recently? Uh, keyword recently. Um, pro been streaming uh, a series called Suits, so legal drama. Um, nine series. This is one that, you know, about 50 minutes each. Uh, my wife and I sit down, it's been literally two months, just nonstop. So uh, I think we're in gotcha. series eight now. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been on about every other night in the Gibbs household. Excellent. Excellent. Question number three, what is your favorite book of all time? Uh, favorite book, Nudge. So uh, okay. was, it basically was one that I couldn't put down. This was a, so this was an economy, behavioral economist and legal scholar. Um, basically proved that, you know, irrational thoughts by, by individuals. And, you know, they outlined everything from health to society. Um, absolutely love uh, Thaler and, and Sunstein. It was an absolutely amazing book. Fascinating. Okay. Question number four. Who is a thought leader that our listeners should stop what they're doing right now and go follow in some capacity, whether it be, you know, liking something on social media or picking up a book or watching a TED Talk by Who's a thought leader that in your mind is somebody that all of our listeners need to stop what they're doing and go pay some attention to? I'll give two just because of academic integrity. So sure. uh, Derek Newton has something called the cheat sheet that you should go out and subscribe to. So he, Derek's absolutely amazing. He's on par with everything, especially when we're talking about kind of the digital sharing economy and academic file, file sharing. Um, and then Michael Crow at Arizona State. He is, he's by far one of the, the I think, best thought leaders out there. Um, my son, we, we've been uh, visiting colleges and, you know, what he's doing at Arizona State from an access, from changing the way uh, students get in the door and not only thinking about getting them in the door, but out, you know, out and matriculating to the job force. Can't speak high enough, highly enough about uh, Dr. Crow. Dr. Crow has done great work with VR and AR at Arizona State as well. Absolutely. We need to get him on the show. That's what's yeah, a great idea. Well, Eric, you're doing fantastic so far. Our algorithm is showing that you've got zero <laughs> matches with any of the previous answers we had to those questions on the show. Uh, we're, we're particularly impressed with the originality of Mom's Fried Chicken. It sounds delicious. I'm feeling very hungry right now. Um, the I last may be question. plagiarizing that one, though. I may also yeah. have to eat some of your Mom's Fried Chicken. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. The last question of the Furious Five is one that we like to call the contrarian question. And it's really Adam's question. So at this point in the show, I always pass the mic back over to him. So Adam, take us home. Eric, you've, you've been making too many layups. So I got to make this one a little bit challenging. Um, we've talked a lot about the future of um, ed tech, particularly around uh, plagiarism. What do you know that will stay the same You've talked about what will change over the next 10 years. What will stay the same in the ed tech business around plagiarism? What do you think will stay the same? Yeah, I mean, I, I think on, on plagiarism, it's, it, it always goes back to, I mean, the, first of all, that's a great, great question. That's a thought provoking one. Um, I, I think it always goes back to n careful what you expose, right? It's, it's not, it's not the, uh, 
it's, it's not the individual student. It's not the individual instructor. It's how you actually address the issue. Um, and so, as I said, it's the technology is not going to be the cure. You can implement the, the best solution ever. Um, and it, I mean, there's some really, really expensive tools out there. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not going to solve it. It has to be good professional development about what the tool is doing. And as I said at the beginning of, of the conversation, if you don't have those three pillars, which is the technology is the deterrence, the good teaching and learning and coaching from the instructor um, and knowing what that actual tool is doing, right? And then the good course design, we're never going to be able to actually get at, you know, at, at the, the root of the, the, the cause, um, which is plagiarism is, is an issue. It could be an issue, um, but it's a small component in the overall academic integrity initiative of supporting that institution. Love it. Love it. Eric Gibbs, president for the Americas of Our Original. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Where can our listeners find either you personally or your company on social media? Yeah, feel free. To, there's a great blog that we have at Original. Um, feel free to come out. There's a whole series on originality that we spoke about, um, the cross-language text matching, original.com. That's O-U-R-I-G-I-N-A-L.com. Um, you can also connect on LinkedIn. Feel free to, to drop uh, any comments, feedback, good, bad, or indifferent at eric.gibbs at original.com. I'd love to hear it um, and, and connect with the listeners. Thanks very much, Eric. It's been a pleasure. Adam, Ryan, thank you very much. And thank you for the Ready Teacher One uh, listeners. Really appreciate the time. Mm -hmm.